Well, good morning, everyone. It's nice to see you all in church. I, I don't know whether you just uh, heard the sermon that Steffi preached, but I feel like from now it can only go down because she was so passionate and so on fire. And she actually asked us to pray for her and that the whole ministry is covered in prayer. And uh, I know life is busy, our lives is busy, our week is busy, and we can easily miss that. So why don't we take just a moment and just pray for the ministry. Steffi, just come up here to me again. I know you've already preached my sermon here. Perhaps we can all stand and we can just pray for Steffi and for her ministry. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this inspiring uh, encouragement this morning that you are the one who sets the captives free. We so firmly believe that you've come to deliver us out of darkness, from bondage and from sin, and to lead us into life in abundance. And you've equipped us as messengers of the gospel to bring that out into the darkest corners of this world and this island. And we've just heard from Sheffi that she's taken up this command. It's fear trembling to herself. She needs courage. She needs love. She needs patience. She needs endurance. She needs extra strength from heaven. And not only she does need that, but also the people she works with, other co-ministers of the gospel. We pray for the whole team and we pray that many, many lives will be touched. And we as a church want to stand behind her. We want to encourage her. We want to uplift her and we want to finance her. We want to support her and the ministry also through our offerings and the money that we dedicate specifically to that ministry. So I pray that also the gates of heaven may be opened in abundance, that she may be blessed also financially in and through her ministry. Jesus, we commit this day to you, this week to you. We want to see lives being changed, and we thank you so much that you involve us in your mission. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you, Steffi. May be seated. So my name is Chris, and I'm a part of this church. If you're here for the first time, I'm not the pastor. Uh, our pastor, Raphael, and his wife and his kids are on vacation and they deserve it because we stress them out all the time and so we've given them some release and some nice time uh, on vacation and it is my honor and privilege this morning to share from the scriptures and I'm very thankful that already throughout this service I felt like not only the band is ready to worship but we are as a church body ready to worship. I saw some of you really shout out loud when we sang Great is our God, and He's our Redeemer, and Jesus loves and saves, and it was great and encouraging. And as I'm speaking this morning, just remember this is part of our worship. So when we sing and when we pray, this is worship because we bring our praise and our prayers to God. But also, when we open up the Scriptures and just take a look into His Word, this is not the book that I've written, this is God's book. And he's given it to us so that we may hear some of the wisdom and the encouragement that we need for our lives. And so my prayer before the service this morning was that, Lord, please use the text and the stories and the inspiration we find in your word for us, that we may be encouraged and lifted up in our souls because we all need encouragement. We all need new strength. So the title of my sermon this morning is increasing our faith 
capacity, increasing our faith capacity. Now, I would like for you all to turn to the book of Matthew in the New Testament. You may use your phone. You can also use the Bible in book form. But I did not on purpose put the verses here up on the screen because I want to read them. You listen to them, but you may as well follow along. Matthew chapter 14, beginning with verse 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began sinking, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. It's one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. It's one story that is really kind of a great illustration that even as the children went downstairs, I know that it is such a simple yet profound picture that even little children will understand. Let me just take you into this marvelous picture into this marvelous story that is accounted in the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament. Matthew, who describes what happened in the life of Jesus with the disciples, but it's also recorded in the other Gospel stories. So it must be an important story, and it follows right after the teaching that we find on the, where, where Jesus is together with his disciples feeding the 5,000. If you know the story, Jesus was up on the mountain. He was preaching a long sermon, much longer than I'm going to do today. And uh, the crowds were excited. They loved to hear him. They came from all over. They crowded around him. He taught. And at the end of the day, they found out that they had not kind of uh, a McDonald's next to them or some other food store in order to just get some food. And they only had some 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 small fishes and, and some loaves of bread. And then there's this marvelous story of Jesus and the disciples together feeding the multitudes. Well, after the story, which is not recorded here in the book of Matthew, but in the other, uh, in the other um, um, gospel stories, they actually were so excited that some of them kind of rushed up and they wanted to crown him king. And Matthew kind of omits that, um, but he describes that immediately after this great event, this great miracle, Jesus kind of escapes he, and he, he pushes his disciples, his 12 guys, his 12 frontrunners to kind of leave and you know, push them away. And they, and they went ahead of the crowd and Jesus pushed them into the water or on the boat, on the water. Didn't push them in the water, but on the boat, onto the water. 
And Jesus himself went up onto a mountain by himself to pray. In my last sermon that I preached here a few weeks ago, I spoke about prayer. And I, just this small reference here is while everyone else was kind of excited, they had all th kind of things going on, Jesus took time to speak to his heavenly father in solitude. And it's so refreshing to read that even the son of God needed prayer. Even the son of God had to take time up on the mountain by himself in order to pray. So Jesus goes up onto the mountain, pray. The disciples get into a boat. Most of them were experienced fishermen. So it wasn't their first time on the boat. They knew how to behave themselves on the boat. They knew, knew how to navigate. And so they get off shore. And then we read the, the, as the story continues that in the middle of the night, in the middle of the night, and if we do kind of in our modern translation, was kind of 3 a.m. in the morning. So dark. Jesus decides to go and visit his disciples on the water. And it actually says that he steps onto the lake and walks towards the boat. Matthew records that this, the disciples are shocked when they see a man on the water. That's one reason why, why I believe that the uh, scriptures is so credible because it has all these expressions that you wouldn't put in if it didn't happen like that. They actually saw Jesus and they thought he was a ghost. They saw him and, and, and you know, in the dark, someone walking on the water and probably like all of us, they would have been frightened. We would have all been frightened just like they were. But then Jesus says to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And then there's this front runner of the group by the name of Peter. So we all know that Jesus had 12 disciples um, that he had gathered as a rabbi, as a Jewish teacher, his disciples that he was lecturing, that he was teaching, that he was traveling with, that he was spending all his time with his inner circle. And out of that inner, out of that group of 12, there some, were some that kind of really shone like stars. At least that's how it's recorded here uh, also in the gospel stories. And one of them was Peter. Peter is the one that looks at the person on the water and says, Jesus, if it's you, then invite me to come to you onto the water. And Jesus said, come. And so the scene is that, that there's a boat and we know that there are quite a bit of waves, there's quite a bit of wind. It's not terrible yet, but it's still quite, quite the scene. Twelve, Eleven disciples in the boat, one guy gets out of the boat onto the water and walks towards Jesus. Walking on water. He walks on water, takes a few steps, then it's recorded that he saw the winds and the waves and all of a sudden he kind of started shaking and, and, uh, and started sinking. And immediately we read in, in verse 31 that Jesus reached out to him and just pulled him, um, pulled him out. And then they make themselves back into the boat and as soon as they reach the boat, the disciples all recognize Jesus and say, you are truly the son of God. You are the rescuer. You just rescued Peter out of the water. 
You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. Well, let me say that for many years, I've, I've loved this story, as I've already mentioned. And, and, the, and for me, next to Jesus being the hero, I've always had great admiration for Peter. Peter is the courageous one. Peter is the leader. When everyone kind of shies away, Peter is the one who kind of speaks up first. Remember the, the scene later where the, uh, Jesus being surrounded by guards and soldiers and Peter is the one who draws the sword and is ready to fight? Peter is the one who first proclaimed Jesus to be the Messiah and the Christ. Out of all the disciples, he was the first to speak up. And there's a reason why the, within the Catholic Church, they believe that the whole tradition of the Church resting upon Peter the Rock, Peter the Rock, was so foundation. So for many years, I've always kind of admired Peter, the courageous one, the one by faith, and I've always belittled a little bit the 11 disciples, like these cowards, yeah, these wimps that, who, who just sit in the boat and, and you know, hold on to, to the railing. They, they observe from the distance. They, they're not in the game as much as Peter is in the game. There's this famous book by John Ortberg years ago, which had the title, If You Want to Walk on Water, You Have to Step Out of the Boat. I don't know if you, some of you have read the book. Uh, it's actually a great book. If you, if you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat and take some steps in faith and of faith. So Peter does that. So a few years ago, I was in my private devotion I was studying this scripture and I kind of knew where the whole story was going because girls I've read it many times and I already was kind of in my mind like I want to be a Peter I want to be like this guy I want to be courageous I want to be a leader I want to be the front runner here just like he is and then I stumbled up on this verse that shocked me within the middle of the story in the middle of the story while Jesus is out on the water and Peter is with him out on the water and had just taken a few steps of faith, by faith, much better than all the other disciples. Jesus says to him, verse 31, You man of little faith, why did you doubt? Do you, do you have the scene in front of you? Like, here's a guy who's just walked on water. He's the best man on his team. I don't know which leadership book Jesus had read or not read. But I've always heard that kind of as, as a leader, you need to encourage your teammates. And especially if they're kind of being brave and courageous. And if they walk on water, you kind of, you stand there and you cheer them on and say, man, high five. But the only thing that Jesus says to Peter on the water, as he's just walked on water by faith, he, sees, he says, you man of little faith, why do you doubt? Why did you doubt? 
when I, I, I read that, kind of my, my world came tumbling down. That's not the way you speak to your, to your best guy here. So I, I, I just kind of started thinking, why in the world does Jesus say something like that to Peter on the water? And the only thing that I can come up with, and I'm just as much as you, a Bible reader, um, I'm just trying to interpret the text. I'm not the greatest authority on the text. I'm just trying to make sense of what I'm reading here. The, the, the best explanation I can come up with why Jesus said that to Peter on the water is that in that very moment, when Jesus looked at Peter, he saw a greater faith capacity in Peter than Peter saw in himself. Somehow Jesus has the eyes of faith and he looks at his man and even though he's just been bold, he's just been courageous, he's just stepped out on the water, but Jesus looks at him and says, you are capable of a whole lot more, Peter. When I see you, you can run over this lake. If you kind of study the biography of Peter up to this point here, Matthew 13, we're already a few chapters into the story of Jesus and his disciples. We, we, we can kind of read the biography that Jesus had with Peter. At the beginning, of course, there was this call where Jesus met Peter and said, you come follow me and, and Peter left everything behind and come, came and, and followed Jesus, which was already a big step of faith, leaving his business behind and following the rabbi. Big, big decision that he had already taken. In Matthew 8, we read the story where Jesus enters the house of Peter and actually heals his mother-in-law. So Peter was there firsthand observing a miracle within his own family. In Matthew 10, we read the story of Jesus commissioning his disciples and Peter was one of the, uh, those that he commissioned out to go into the dark valleys and to cast out the demons. And they actually went and they did exactly that. Matthew 14 then comes here to this passage where Peter gets out onto the water and starts walking by faith. But somehow in that very moment, Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, I see you a man of faith. I see you walking, but you're not to your full capacity of faith. And in this very moment, I actually believe you could bump it up. You're capable of more courage and of more. And don't compare to the other 11. I do. I, I, I look like well, next to the boat. He's kind of like the big courageous one. But Jesus is looking at him and, and says, I'm not comparing you to the other guys. I'm due to the way I do and not the way you see yourself. So let's on a scale. Let's Better? Okay. 
let's just do a little math exercise. My one of my sons here, Cedric, is is my is my math boy. Cedric, I, I, I'm I'm calling on you here now to help me. So let's say we have to rate the faith of Peter at this very moment. And let's say we've got a scale from 1 to 10. 1 being a baby in faith and 10 being Jesus. Okay, so that's our scale. 1, a baby in faith just taking a few steps, you know, mustering up some courage to follow. And then like 10, a martyr, an expert, like a saint or even Jesus. Where would you say that Peter was in his faith at this very moment here within the story? Was he a three? Was he a four? Cedric, what would you say? You can take a pick here. Five or six. Okay, let's say we look at Peter as the story goes and we say he's a five. The way I'm reading this story is that Jesus looked at him and saw him as a six or as a seven or as an eight. So we have our way of observing faith capacity and I'm also pretty sure that Peter in this very moment he had kind of a check within his life where he felt like he was at. But what I'm here to tell you this morning is wherever we may place him on the scale and wherever he himself placed himself on the scale, Jesus looked at him and saw him at a higher level. And that's why he can say, you man of little faith, why do you doubt? So let me talk to you, to us this morning. We've looked at Jesus, looked at the 11 disciples, we looked at Peter. And let me for a moment just ask you about your own faith capacity. Where are you? within your own faith development. Would you, sell, would you rate yourself as a, like a two, taking some steps to follow Jesus? Do you consider yourself a five? Perhaps you see other people here in the room that you've seen kind of interact here on the platform or by the piano who are kind of these shining stars where like, wow, they're really full of faith. They must be an eight or nine. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that I believe what Jesus did here in this scene with Peter, he does exactly the same thing with us this morning. No matter where we rate ourselves, no matter where how others rate ourselves, I believe that Jesus has the eyes of faith and looks at us and just sees us at a higher capacity. Of course, I don't know your specific circumstances at this very moment. I don't know how your, how your week has been, how your day has gone, 
how this year's unfolding for you. I, I have no idea about that. I, I know some stories, but I, I don't, I'm, not a, I'm not an expert here. But I trust the scriptures. And in the scriptures, we often interpret it like we need to have faith in God. And then on Sundays, we come here and we invite people to have faith in this big God. I'm here this morning to kind of flip it around and say, God has faith in you. God looks at you. God looks at me. And no matter how much we want to belittle ourselves because we don't know, because we don't do, because we don't live the way we want it to be, God looks at us, Jesus looks at us with eyes of faith and actually believes we can increase our faith capacity. So let me give you three things, three simple steps this morning, how to live into this higher faith capacity. The first thing I want to tell you this morning is don't listen to the crowd. Don't listen to the crowd. I think that's what Peter got right in this moment. He was not listening to the 11 disciples. Now there are other stories in the scriptures where, where we know the crowd had totally missed the point and even great leaders, great kings, great prophets had kind of gone away with the crowd. If I understand the gospel teachings correctly, Jesus invites us not to just drown in the masses and follow the crowd. Let me tell you about a conversation I've had a couple of weeks ago. Flew over to the United States uh, to meet for a business meeting a man in New York City. I specifically only flew for one meeting over there because it was a very business, very important business meeting to me. And uh, I had not, not met uh, this man before, but someone had put us in contact. So I flew out. I arrived like uh, four o'clock in the afternoon in New York at uh, New Ark Airport, took the train into town, checked quickly into the hotel and then freshened up and went to meet this uh, businessman at a very nice French restaurant in the west side of New York City. He was a very polite gentleman, highly educated, spoke all kinds of languages, is American, but he spoke some German with me. He's fluent in French and some other languages. Highly educated, went to Harvard uh, Business School and some other prestigious universities. And his career has just been, let's say, very impressive. So we had a nice uh, dinner uh, conversation, uh, ate some good food. And I talked and presented uh, to him a new project that I'm working on. And he was really engaging and very, was very friendly and kind of, taking up my, my, my ideas, my concerns, and the things I'm developing. And so we re I, I felt like we really had a good conversation. And it was quite 
late. We spent about two hours in this restaurant. After two hours, we had finished our meal and I felt like this had gone good. Um, and we already ordered the bill to be, come to the table so that we could pay and kind of finish off and, and each go home. While we're waiting for the bill of the evening to come to our table, I just kind of slipped in a question. I said, John, his name is not John, but for this moment it's John. I said, John, tell me, I just shared with you kind of what I'm working on, my dream and vision. What are you working on? What's kind of your dream and vision that you're kind of pursuing at this stage of your life? He looked at me and then he paused kind of strangely. And then he said, well, I'm actually trying to get my marriage right. For me, that all of a sudden was a bit of a shocker because we had just had a very professional business conversation and he, you know, within a sentence kind of tells me that he had some issues within his marriage. So I said, well, um, let me just use the restroom. Yeah, I'll be, be right back. Uh, but I, I, I'd just love to hear a little bit about that. So for the next one and a half hours, even though we had long paid our bill by then, we had this total twist in our conversation about just a very personal thing of where he's at in his life at the moment and how he's trying to keep his marriage alive. They've got some kids, but really things have just gone south within their relationship. And I was kind of surprised that he would open up to me first time meeting. I actually felt quite unprofessional. But that's how we sometimes need to be. Unprofessional. And just share with our lives. So I did the same thing as him. I became unprofessional. I told him about my marriage. I told him about the struggles we've had to face over 20 years of being married. I told him what kind of helped me, helped us to kind of take good and better steps. At one point in the conversation, I asked him, so what are your friends saying? about your situation and he said well most of them think I should get a divorce I'm telling you uh, this story because I'm very proud of this man John because as we were talking it clearly felt like he's not willing to listen to his friends. We all know that life and marriage and, and with kids and family, things can get very, very difficult. And there's a huge, huge percentage of marriages just kind of falling apart. Um, and there are always very good reasons to fold things together and just kind of move on. 
So in one way, I can understand even his friends as I listen to his stories, kind of just saying, well, why don't you just kind of fold it together and just move on? But through and because of his faith, he felt like he can't just do that. He does not know what the solution looks like, but he can't just do that. I'm saying you with this story because for me, there was an example of, of, of a believer who said, I'm not listening to the crowd. I'm not listening to society. I'm not listening to what culture tells me at this very moment what I should do. But there's a deeper conviction. Remember last week, Raf told us about this book of Job here in the Old Testament, the prophet Job. Phenomenal book. And there are all these friends that Job has that give him great advice for life. And Raphael told us we shouldn't pay attention to that advice, even though it's in the Bible. It was a pretty good teaching. It's in the Bible, but it's clearly wrong what his friends are advising. See, the Christian life is not a popularity test or contest. And the Christian walk is not the easy walk. In fact, Matthew 7, Jesus talks about the narrow gate, not the autobahn that we take, the highway, but the narrow gate that we as followers of Christ take in order to live by faith. So my first advice as you're trying to live out your faith capacity is don't listen to the crowd. The second advice I want to give you, don't listen to yourself. And now we're going to get to the heart of what I want to communicate here this morning. Let me show you a verse, a couple of verses in the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 7. There it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In, your, in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. I remember years ago, I heard a preacher teaching on this very passage and he told us very clearly as a congregation, and I was like you just sitting somewhere in the pew, he was telling us very clearly, don't trust yourself. Don't trust your own reasoning. Don't trust your own judgment. Don't trust your own thinking. And I was sitting there in the pew and I was thinking like, what? Like, I'm using my brain, I'm trying to get this right, I'm looking inside myself to for good decisions, and now this preacher is telling me not to do that. And he based it off of this text, Proverbs uh, chapter 3, where it very clearly says, we, as the people of God, are not supposed to trust in ourselves and our own understanding, but actually that we've got a higher authority that we can trust. And that is if we lean into God's ways and his understanding and we submit our lives to his thinking, not to our own thinking. And for me back then, that came as a big shock because even within my own, even though I, I came out of a Christian environment, I've always tried to kind of, kind of wrestle with my own thinking, my own thoughts and make good decisions. And for that day, for the very first time I understood, well, perhaps that's not the point of being a Christian of just being smart and educated 
But perhaps the point of being a Christian and a follower of Jesus is that we say, we don't, we're not smart, we don't very clever, we do mistakes, we take wrong exits. That's why we trust in the Lord. That's why we ask him for advice. That's why we ask him for guidance. That's why we turn to the scriptures and search the scriptures in order that our path may be enlightened. So I don't care what you've been doing and leading your life up to this point. I'm encouraging you this morning to stop following your own ways and your own thinking and your own reasoning. And perhaps you're also very smart and educated. I don't care. The scripture invites us to set aside our own reasoning and put our trust in the Lord, who has different thoughts than we do. Isaiah 55, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. I hate this teaching. I hate this. I'm quite proud of having a few titles behind my name. I've spent years studying. I've read many books. But I need to learn that I'm not very smart when it comes to the ways of God. Let me ask you this. Who's responsible for the biggest mistakes of your life? Now, if you're like me, you want to blame it on others. You want to blame it on your parents. You want to blame it on your friends. You want to blame it on your teachers. You want to blame it on your spouse. But if we're brutally honest, we all have to realize at some point that we ourselves are the cause of all troubles within our lives. Now, there can be some very bad outside circumstances. I understand that. But the big mistakes of my life it was me and my reasoning and me acting upon that. And that's why I can stand here very confidently today and just point to our Heavenly Father and advise you from the bottom of my heart that it is a whole lot better to trust in the Lord and to trust in His ways. And in fact, the reason we come here together on a Sunday morning, even though this is a beautiful island, we could all be hanging out at the beach. The reason we come here on a Sunday morning is because we together want to look into the scriptures and find out what is God thinking? What does God have on his mind? What does he want us to understand? What does he want us to see that we're not seeing? That's why I come here on Sundays. That's why I love Raph's teaching. He's a Bible teacher. That's why I love our pastor, because he always picks up the Bible and he, he gives an exposition. He explains it to us. And then we can wrestle with it. And sometimes we like it, and sometimes we don't like it. But that's not the point. So as you're trying to increase your faith capacity, two things. Number one, don't listen to the crowd. Number two, don't listen to yourself. And here's number three. Live for the applause of one, Jesus Christ.
live for the applause of one, Jesus Christ. Let me finish this sermon with, with a story of a man by the name of Muhammad that I met in the city of Mainz in Germany. It was a few years ago. I was uh, teaching at, at a coffee shop. Downtown Mainz, a few years ago through our ministry, we'd opened up a coffee shop to be available to people in the street in the middle of the, in the, middle of the shopping area of Mainz. And then Sunday evenings, we would always have a, a worship service in a coffee shop and we'd have open doors and, and would invite people in from the street. And there was this one specific Sunday evening, I was, I was conducting the service, I was preaching. And, uh, and actually after the, after the service, when normally we're all nice to each other, that's kind of, you know, church people, that's what we are, all nice to each other after the service, drink some coffee, you know, have some chit-chat. All of a sudden comes in Muhammad. I, I still don't know whether he was in the service or not in the service or listening from the outside, but he came in, I was standing there kind of all cheery, I just preached and so I was kind of like also a little bit worn out. And he starts attacking me verbally. I found out very quickly that he's from Muslim background and he, he immediately, like within two sentences, he was like attacking me because of my faith and because of Jesus and religion and the Bible. And so normally I'm kind of, you know, all open for conversation, but the way he was doing it, I was that close to just smacking him in the face. And yeah, I'm just being honest with you here this morning. You know, I, I can engage in a good conversation, but I can also engage in a good fight if I feel like, if like, if I feel like I have to, you know, we have to settle some things. So he starts shouting, I start shouting, okay? God has gifted me with a, with a voice, so we're having this big argument. There are all kinds of nice church people around, and they don't know what they're seeing. Here, here's, here's the preacher, here's the pastor for the day, and he's kind of shouting at, a, at, a, at, a, at another man. And we're kind of having, and I'm telling you, we're that close to just hitting each other in the face within like a few minutes of, of our conversation. So at the end, I kick him out of the coffee shop. I said, hey, listen, this is not your place. You know, you need to get out the way you're behaving, the way you're talking, you need to leave. Uh, end of discussion. In a loving way, I did that. So, so he leaves and I'm quite glad he leaves. A week later, I kid you not, on the other side of town in the city of Mainz, we're doing a service in the Paulskirche, which is, an, uh, is, a, is a Protestant Lutheran church. And that's where we have an evening service and uh, with students and lots of homeless people. It's always a great feast. And uh, I'm at the door. People are coming at six o'clock in the evening. People are coming to the church. I'm nicely by the door, kind of doing meet and greet and handshake. And there I see Mohammed walking down the street. I'm like, you must be kidding me. What's this guy doing here a week later on another spot? How in the world did he even find us? So I decide, today I'm being a better Christian, I'm going to go inside and not meet uh, Muhammad at the door. Um, so I go inside, and remember this is a, this is a Lutheran church, and I kind of go way by the side, 
so that he doesn't bump into me. But I still observe kind of how he's entering the front door. And so he enters the front door. There's some other people kind of shaking hands with him. He gets into the into kind of the, the entrance of the church and he looks towards the altar. Now that, that church had, had an altar, it, it had a cross there portrayed. Um, and all of a sudden I see how he freezes. He doesn't move. And even though he was across the room, I could see how he was turning pale, like white as snow. He was losing all color. And he's not moving. So I kind of like, okay, so what's, what's this now? So I walk over to him. And I start talking to him. And he only raises his hand towards the altar and there was the cross and he was pointing at the cross and then he was painting at the hymn board next to the altar. Do you guys know what a hymn board is? So in, in Lutheran churches, you, you know, we, we, they don't have projectors, you have hymn books and so they always put the numbers of the hymns that we're supposed to sing as a congregation, they put them on the, on the wall. Have you guys seen that before? Okay, you're good church people, yeah. So, so he points to the cross, then he points to the numbers. And he says, I kid you not, this is my birthday. I'm like, what? There's the number one, two, four, Eight, nine on the board. This was the day, the month, and the year that Muhammad was born. Later on, he tells me that this was the very first time in his life that he had entered a church. And that all the way up to this church building, he was cursing God. In fact, he could not tell me why he had come to church that Sunday evening. But as soon as he entered into the, into the church building, he stood by the door, he saw the cross, Jesus, and then he saw his birthday. He connected the dots and said, like, God in Jesus is talking to me. So I gave myself a little look. <laughs> you see, at least how we say it in German, we give a book. So I take Mohammed by the side. I said, Mohammed, God is talking to you. I may not be the best example of his kind of earthly staff, but let, why don't we talk to God directly and, and we go to the side of the sanctuary and we just both kneel down. I put my hand on his shoulder and we pray to Jesus Christ. And that day, Muhammad received Jesus Christ into his life. Here's the reason I'm telling you this story. Muhammad did not listen to the crowds. All his Muslim friends 
had told him never to put foot in a Christian church. He was not listening to himself because he himself was thinking all bad things about God and cursing God. But he was following how the Spirit was leading him that day. And he made the best decision of his life. Not because he was very smart, not because he was very educated, not because his friends had told him so, but because all of a sudden God in Jesus showed up and reached out in a hand. So let me close in this. And perhaps we can start with the, with the music here. Because we want to sing a song at the end of the service. Let me, let me get back to the beginning. Jesus sees greater faith capacity in each and every one of you. I'm ashamed to almost admit that. That even when he looks at me, he sees greater faith capacity. By now you also believe, yeah, he's a man of faith. <laughs> if he even has faith in this guy. I don't know what kind of struggles you're facing at the moment. I don't know what kind of temptations are lurking in your lives. I don't know where you're wanting to follow your feelings because you feel so strongly or you want to follow your reasoning because you feel you've really put good logic to everything. But what I'm inviting you into this morning is to put your trust in the only one, Jesus Christ. Can we stand together? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your unending grace and love that is just so much better than our thinking and our reasoning and our teaching. And I hope I did not cloud through my words what you want to communicate this morning. I thank you for the eyes of faith that you have and that you're looking at me today and, and you see that there's as great a faith capacity in my life possible. I want to be obedient to you, Jesus Christ, this morning. I want to surrender. I want to submit. I want to confess. Please forgive me for my ways. Please forgive me for my reasoning and help me live into this greater reality. In Jesus' name, amen.